Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. We're going to open our Bibles together now to read from God's Word. <clears throat> we'll be reading two Bible readings, Matthew chapter 5 and then First Peter chapter 3. So you can open your Bibles or follow on the screen. If you'd like to follow along in your Bible and you don't have one, and some boxes under the end of some of the rows, so just please grab one of them or ask one to be passed along to you. And if you don't have a Bible at home but you would like to read it and you're going to use it, then feel free just to take one and keep it as our gift to you because we would be delighted if you were reading God's Word in your own time. So let's join together. Read with me, please. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16. This is Jesus speaking, and he says, You are the light of the world. This is Jesus speaking to his followers, which includes us. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, and neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Then we'll turn over to First Peter chapter 3. And we're reading from verse 8 to 17. And again, this is Peter now uh, writing. uh, And again, he's writing to followers of Jesus, which includes us. And Peter says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So last week, Luke shared about Carl Beach, who spoke at the men's conference at Belgrave Heights recently. And he shared that when Carl became a Christian, he would just weep uncontrollably, looking at people around him in the world who don't know Jesus, and as a result, will be separated from God for eternity. When I heard Carl share that story, I immediately thought of this video. I'm sure most of you have seen it before and I'm certain that I'm not the first person to use it in a sermon illustration. But it matches up with the message of the gospel perfectly. Jesus says very clearly in the parable of the lost sheep that God is not willing for anyone to perish. So picture yourself in the shoes of Francisco as the person in this video. But change the question So it's not about the road toll. The question is, 
what do you think would be an acceptable number of people to go to hell? And I'm sure, again, that I'm not alone in thinking that the only answer to that is zero. If God is not willing for anyone to perish, then how can we be? Today I'm tasked with wrapping up this current series called The Illuminated. It's a series about mission. And today's message is called Shine Bright. In week one, Luke explained that many people think of mission as a spectrum. At one end, there's soapbox preaching. And at the other end is social justice, meeting people where they're at and caring for their needs. And there are some people who think it's one end of this or the other, exclusively, and they never meet. But the truth is in the middle. We need to meet people where they are, care for their needs, and we need to share the gospel with them. And over the last couple of weeks, both sides of this have been expounded further by Luke and Ray. Ray shared with us about feeding the poor and the hungry. And Luke shared last week from Acts, talking about Paul's experience in Athens, preaching the gospel in the Areopagus. And I hope that you found each of these messages as encouraging as I have. I know that for me, the most important thing that I've heard is that it's okay to say, I don't know. Because there's many times when that's the only answer I've got. So for today's topic, shine bright. As we've already heard this morning, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus stated emphatically that we are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp, a lighter lamp, and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Here Jesus explains that we are called to bring illumination through the revelation of God's will for his people. We're not to take power over the world, controlling secular power structures like governments. And God hasn't promised that we're going to be able to Christianize the laws and the values of the world. We're called not to hide, not be isolated in Christian enclaves, but to remain active in the world around us, shining the light of Jesus' truth and calling the world to heed God's standards. I've found this to be quite confusing at times in the past when we consider that in the very next chapter, Jesus instructs his followers to keep their righteousness, their good deeds, and their offerings secret. So how is it that we keep it secret and let it shine? Well, it comes down to motivation. The key difference is in Matthew 5, Jesus ends his instruction with the words, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So as we go... We must guard ourselves and ensure that we are going with the right motivation. It isn't about bringing glory to ourselves or even to our church, whether that's follow or somewhere else. It's about bringing glory to God. Hopefully, if like me, this has confused you in the past, 
that helps to clear it up. And if you'd already figured that out, which is likely, hopefully I haven't caused confusion where there wasn't already some. So this instruction from Matthew 5 is quite straightforward. God has revealed himself to us through his son and through his word. We're saved by God's grace and by God's mercy. And as a result, we're tasked with the job of sharing the good news of God's salvation with the rest of the world. The Great Commission is clear on this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So why this analogy? Why light? Jesus also talks about salt, but he gives three times the words to the analogy of light. A couple of weeks ago, Ray gave us a really good answer to this. Light provides security. Light gives us warmth, safety, comfort. We're drawn to light. Does anyone remember the movie A Bug's Life? came out 20 years ago. That just put my life into perspective because I still think of that as recent. Um, Anyway, there's a scene in the movie with a bug zapper. Now, you might remember there's a bug called Harry. He and his mate have wings. They fly around. And in this scene, it's close up of the bug zapper. You can see them flying around. And all of a sudden, Harry just stops, turns, and heads straight for the bug zapper. And his mate's going, no, no, Harry, don't do it. It's not good. And Harry goes, I can't stop. It's beautiful. And of course, it doesn't end well for Harry. Um, But being a Disney movie, life's okay. He lives. He just falls, ends up in a bucket. But we are the same. We're drawn to light. Luke was telling me during the week about going caving when he was younger. He clearly remembers being down in a cave in total darkness at the point of questioning whether he should be in the cave in the first place when finally he sees some light coming through. And at that point, he was flooded with hope and relief that he's going to get out of here. All he had to do was follow the light to safety and thankfully that ended better than the bug zapper. So what does it look like for us to be the light of the world? Well, we get a great clue in 1 Peter 3, which Dave read to us earlier. From verse 8, Peter says, Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. Peter goes on to quote Psalm 34 here as an explanation of the blessing that we stand to inherit, being eternal life with God in heaven. So what can we learn from this clue? We can learn how to treat each other within the church and how to treat others without the church. Remember that Jesus says in John 13, a new command I give you, Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. This is what sets us apart as Christians. Michael Frost is quoted with the saying, live a questionable life, which 
At face value, doesn't sound great for Christians. Let's face it. We have a certain connotation for what questionable is. But what he means by this, and Luke's used this before, so I'm not surprised if you've heard it. By way of explanation, Michael Frost goes on to explain that the primary setting in which most of us will be able to share the gospel will be in response to people's questions. But in order for this to happen, we must be living a life that makes them ask a question. Therefore, live a questionable life. So this is part of living a questionable life. Loving one another, even when it's difficult. Even when all you want to do is write someone off and never talk to them again. We can't pick and choose which parts of the Bible to apply to our lives. We are commanded to forgive. We are commanded to love one another. And interestingly, the phrase used here in 1 Peter 3, be compassionate, is actually a direct reference to the forgiveness of sins. Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. Not so we can bear a grudge against each other, but so that we can forgive others. Michael Frost elaborates further on this idea of living a questionable life. And I do want to stress, I'm paraphrasing here, this is not my own idea. I've found this really challenging this week myself. But he says, if you live in a house just like your neighbours, you've paid just as much as they've paid for their house, you drive the same sort of car as your neighbours, you wear the same sort of clothes, you send your kids to a private school, even a Christian one. What's different? What are they going to question? How will people know that there's something different about you? So we have to find a way to live a questionable life. Blessing those who commit evil against us is one way of doing this. But we have to do it consistently. No picking and choosing. And let me be clear on this. We don't bless others in order to be blessed. We bless because we are blessed. This isn't works theology. Our good deeds are not the tool by which we gain salvation, but the evidence of our salvation. Salvation is not complete without complete transformation. How do people see that in our lives? We live a questionable life. St Francis of Assisi said, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. David Bosch, the noted South African missiologist, responded to this by saying, of course words are necessary. Unexplained deeds in themselves do not constitute the mission of God's people. And if we continue reading in 1 Peter 3, Peter says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against you against your good behaviour in Christ, may be ashamed of their slander. So while it's okay to say I don't know to some of the tougher questions, we must be prepared to give an answer about why we are a Christian in the first place. As Sam Chan, who Luke's mentioned recently as well, we both heard him at the same conference, 
in his book Evangelism in a Skeptical World, talks about telling our story. So what makes a good story? Well, Sam Chan provides a really good model for this. And as a teacher, I'm actually really happy with it. But I do want to clarify, I was a primary school teacher. So if there's any secondary school English teachers here and you don't agree, take it up with Sam. I didn't quite make it that far. Anyway, Sam puts it this way. Using the Greek rule of threes as a framework, we start with an introduction. We move on to the body and we finish with the conclusion. That's pretty solid so far. That, that far I got with primary school English. But in between each of these sections, he adds in more. Between the introduction and the body, he adds in a definition of the mission. Between the body and the conclusion, he adds in a bridge. And then after the conclusion in which the mission is achieved, we have the denouement, in which we are given a glimpse of the new normal. So this is the model he suggests for telling a story. This can become your testimony. Now, I'm not trying to tell you this has to be it. This is just one practical example. There's plenty of ways to do this. But this resonated with me. So what I've done is I've given it a go. As an example for you, I've had a go at writing my testimony with Sam Chan's example. So here it is. I'm the youngest of three brothers, a principal's kid. I always had to fight for attention, and this became my mission in life, to gain attention. For example, in trying to gain attention, I became a musician. When I was in high school, I had the opportunity to perform as a vocalist in the State School Spectacular at Rod Laver Arena. I was quite literally the centre of attention in front of 15,000 people. Mission achieved. But through my involvement in that, God showed me a glimpse of the music industry. And it's full of people who don't care about anyone but themselves. They will literally stand on you to get ahead. They'll spend their lives seeking ultimate glory and never quite getting there, permanently dissatisfied. The problem with that is that every achievement I could gain in that world would only add more to the list of what I still had to do. I've since watched from a distance as people I met through that experience have gone on to live that life, never satisfied with what they've done, no matter how good it is. And God showed me that I wouldn't find fulfilment But this is what Jesus has done for me. By his sacrifice, I have the attention of the great I am, the Lord God Almighty. He knows everything about me and cares for my every need. So now I no longer chase the attention of the world for my own gratification. I seek to serve God using the gifts that he's given me. He's gifted me as a musician and he's given me the ability to speak publicly. And I seek to use those gifts to glorify him. I no longer need nor want the attention and approval of people because I have the attention and approval of our heavenly creator. Now, telling a story generally comes in a social context. 
might be over coffee or lunch with a friend, or it might be an impromptu thing in a taxi, bus, train, a plane. You might get stuck talking to the person next to you on a plane before you can put your headphones in. The international symbol for leave me alone. (laughs) But whatever it is, whether you go first or they go first, social etiquette dictates that however much time the first person spends talking, they have to let the next person have that much time. So... Whether you've already listened to their story or not, there's an exchange here. What does your story tell them? Is it something different? Are they going to ask a question? Because the end goal isn't to leave it there, but to move on to sharing the gospel. Now, Greg Lee, the senior pastor at Hunter Bible Church in Newcastle, puts it this way. There is a need to tell people that they're wrong. We have to share the good news of the gospel and we do need to tell people that that contradicts their lifestyle. So I've got one more example for you. This one comes from Andrew Cathay from City to City Church Planting Network. It's called The Five Bases. It's a gospel outline. I'm happy to share this with you if you'd like it. It's a good way to put the entire gospel into a succinct story. So the five bases are first days, dark days, Jesus, last day, and today. So first days, this is creation. This is God's world. He made it. He continues to sustain it. He made it to reflect his nature by being a place of life and peace and beauty. He made humanity to enjoy his world and to live in thankful obedience and dependence on him. But then dark days came. Sin entered the world. From the beginning, humans arrogantly asserted their independence from God. And though it broke God's heart, he let them go. By rejecting the source of life and peace, humans opened the door for evil to infect God's world. Life gave way to death And conflict came to dominate God's world. Every human since, including you and me, has been caught up in this. We've all sought to live independently of God. We've all experienced evil. And consequently, we all know the anguish of dealing with death and conflict in our lives. But then Jesus came. God is still committed to this world and to the people he's made. He's not willing to accept death and conflict as a part of life. And so God sent his son Jesus to renew the world he loves. Jesus lived life as it was always meant to be lived, in thankful obedience and dependence on God, with a deep love for others and a passion for truth and justice, restoring the world as a sign of its future. Jesus' obedience and love culminated in him dying on a cross for us. He died as a sacrifice for our involvement in evil and our enslavement to evil. And then on the third day, God raised Jesus from the dead, raised him to life as the first of a renewed humanity and as Lord of a renewed world. As Lord, Jesus will complete 
God's renewing work in this world on the last day. Not the last days, but singular, the last day, judgment day. Evil will finally be brought to nothing so that life and peace may prevail in God's world. And just as Jesus has been raised, so on that day God's people will be raised to life to enjoy the renewed world with God. But those who continue to assert their independence from God will be excluded from God's world together for all eternity with all evil. So that brings us to today. What does that mean for us? Well, now, as Lord, Jesus has the authority to forgive and to give new life. Therefore, today is a day of hope. God commands all people, including you and me, to turn from a life of involvement with evil and to seek his mercy. God's promise is that those who turn to him will be forgiven and will receive the gift of the Spirit to strengthen them for life of obedience to Jesus. And God's promise is that those who eagerly await will soon be raised to share in the life of God's renewed world. And that's it. What more powerful story could there be to share? That's the hope that we have. That's what sets us apart. And if we have that story and that good news, how can we keep it to ourselves? How can we be willing for anyone to perish when we've got that answer? As a final encouragement today, I want to return to 1 Peter 3, verse 13. Peter says, Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. As we share the gospel, not everyone's going to like it. Not everyone is going to respond positive. You may remember last week Luke shared that there was three reactions to Paul in Athens. Some thought he was crazy. Some were curious. And others were convinced. At the conference a few weeks ago, Sam Chan actually put it this way. As Christians, we're called to be part of a contact sport. We're going to get hurt. God doesn't promise us that we're going to live a life of happiness and peace in this life. In fact, it's quite the opposite. But what we have at the end of this life is peace and happiness with God for eternity. And the promise of the resurrection is that that peace will renew the life that we have now. So as we finish this series on mission... I hope that you feel encouraged that, what we are, that we are a church on mission. Each one of us is on a mission every day, whether it's in our workplace, our school, sporting clubs, whatever your involvement is in our local community and beyond. We are on mission every day. So as we go, 
I pray that Jesus' words will ring clear in your hearts to be the light of the world, to live a questionable life and be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have. 